Welcome to the Game Plan Podcast with Judah Newby and Brian Perkins, breaking down all things Seahawks. Welcome back into the Game Plan Podcast, the first official off-season edition of the podcast. Alongside Brian Perkins, I'm Judah Newby on 1029-750-TheGame, 1029thegame.com. About to enter the divisional round of the playoffs. Coming up on uh, today's episode, we'll talk about a few different things Seahawks-related as we move into the springtime, including Brian Schottenheimer's comments on the radio up in Seattle, defending his uh, play calling as offensive coordinator in that Dallas game. Russell Wilson going to a Pro Bowl. What are the Seahawks going to do on the defensive side of the ball between the contract uh, expirations of Frank Clark and K.J. Wright and the upcoming final year of the contract of Bobby Swagner and a couple of coaches got let go as well. So, Perkins, let's just start with there. A couple of coaches being let go from uh, the Seahawks staff. Your first coaching shuffle up in Seattle, including um, strength and conditioning, uh, coach, and uh, a couple of assistants as well, but no special teams coaching movement. Yeah, yeah, not yet. They they did clean out clean house there in strength and conditioning, and they'd been there since Pete Carroll came into Seattle. So that's another one of those changes, albeit a minor one, like last year, where you saw him make wholesale changes on guys that had been with him for you know multiple years during this entire run in Seattle. So an interesting change. You have to wonder why was that decision being made? Um, is it are they the scapegoats? You know, like that's that's kind of who we're gonna blame, quote unquote, for the way things ended this season in Seattle. Who knows? But uh, a lot of people are questioning why did they get rid of everybody? But I, I would argue that if you're gonna hire, much like a maybe a head coach or a coordinator, I'm assuming that if a you bring in a strength and conditioning coordinator, they will want to bring in their own guys that are going to work with them with specific position groups because, again, they are going to have their own vision with how they want to do things. Yeah, I'm sure. And those guys, again, was uh, head strength and conditioning coach Chris Carlisle, uh, assistant strength and conditioning coaches Mondre G and Jimmy Yanchar. Head trainer Donald Rich is also out, uh, according to Curtis Crabtree. So that's, uh, that's a pretty major change for uh, the Seattle Seahawks. Um, I'm trying to remember what Donald Rich looked like because if he's the guy that I thought it, well, no, he's a different guy. It looks like that. You know that guy that's out in the suits all the time that's going out to check on the players and their injuries. I don't know if that's Donald Rich. I'd be surprised if he got let go. I see yeah. him in every single injury. Is out. <laughs> well, there. these guys have been with with the Seahawks organization for almost nine years. You yeah. know, at this point, so pretty big change without a doubt in Seattle. Though maybe not the change everyone was looking for, which, like you said, might be a. Uh, a special team, special teams change. Is that was I don't know if that was even necessary. I feel like it's kind of an, a knee jerk reaction to the Cardinals game. So obvious, yeah, like, for sure. Like I, I mean, I know the kicking game has not been good for Seattle, right? But is it the special teams coach's fault that that your forty three year old kicker missed a bunch of kicks? Yeah, no, it's and not. and and by the way, your Blair punter Walsh, is the best in the league. Yeah, and Blair Walsh missed it the year before. Yeah. And John Ryan, by the way, was, I mean, they had some of the best kick coverage in years past mm-hmm. um, with John Ryan as well. So I'm not sure if if you need to make wholesale changes there. No, I don't think so either. Brian Schneider doing a good enough job, in my opinion, to keep his job. Um, Russell Wilson was named to the Pro Bowl, and this is ultimately 
his sixth official Pro Bowl trip since entering the league in 2012. Yeah, his sixth. Everyone says it was his fifth, but he technically, even though he was listed as a Pro Bowl alternate uh, the 2014 season, and then he didn't end up going because he went to the Super Bowl that year, obviously, uh, he still ended up going, quote-unquote, to the Pro Bowl because one of the starting quarterbacks couldn't didn't go. So he got selected because he was an alternate, and then someone obviously replaced him as well later on. But So it's not five, but six Pro Bowls for Russell Wilson since 2012. And a career year for him in quarterback rating, 110.9. Career years for him in touchdowns with 35. And in interceptions, a career low, seven. So seven seasons played and six Pro Bowl nominations for one of the greatest Seahawks ever, and hopefully a Hall of Famer one day, um, but hopefully he adds to the trophy case to ratify uh, that consideration down the road. I'm sure he'll be a Hall of Famer. Not really too, think so? too worried about that. I think so, yeah. I think so. I think because ultimately you'll look up. And, if he doesn't win another Super Bowl, is he a Hall of Famer? You no, know, but what about the All-Pros and the – maybe not the All-Pros, but look at like six Pro Bowls in seven years now. Like you look at a guy that – Maybe what if he ends up going to double-digit Pro Bowls in his career? How do you keep that guy out of the Hall of Fame? That's a lot. I know the Pro Bowl is such an arbitrary thing, but and he's got all the the ambiguity that is involved with Hall of Fame voting in terms of character and personalities and stuff. Those are all in his favor. I think he gets in. I think everybody will want him to get in. And so, like, it's a flawed system. So, yeah, I think the flawedness of the system will actually favor him and not discredit him. Yeah, that's fair. I know. We we look at Pro Bowls, I feel like, a, a little bit more gracious of a light than we should, especially given how many players end up not going, like on Super Bowl teams or injuries. I mean, guys can be Pro Bowlers that were, you know, second, third, fourth alternate sometimes, depending on what position it is. Right. So that's tough. For me, all pros definitely carry a lot more weight than than Pro Bowls. But I get what you're saying. He's he's probably on on the path, assuming that the franchise doesn't completely take a nosedive for, you know, the back half of his career. And hopefully it won't. Um Brian Schottenheimer was up on Seattle Radio on um KJR, I believe, yesterday, talking about some of his play calling in the Dallas game. Uh by and large Perkins, I mean we both took a look at it. It looked like, you know, he was defending his his position in terms of the play calling, but and the more I think about it too, look, we're going to put a huge magnifying glass on this football game and debate the particulars, but at the end of the day, you're looking at a Seattle offense that averaged 26.7 points a game this year, the second most in franchise history. Yeah, they did a lot of good things offensively this year, and ex- I would say exceeded expectations given uh, the Schottenheimer hire, at least in my opinion they did. I don't know about you. I but- agree. They definitely did. That being said, and we talked about this on Monday, when you depend on third down conversions as a key function of your offense, and not not just third down conversions, because every team needs to convert third downs, but you know what I mean. When When your offense is designed to have a high number of third downs, what it creates is uncertainty in terms of how quickly can your offense get going, how well is your offense going to play week in, week out? And unfortunately, you're playing in a league where when it comes to the postseason, it's one and done. So if you have that off week, then you can see exactly what happened against Dallas last Saturday, and that's that you're going home and you ain't playing again for the rest of the year. The Seahawks in that game, by the way, uh, Brian Schottenheimer alluded to third down being a big issue for this team. The Seahawks, this is uh, courtesy of uh, at 30 Acre Fortress on uh, Twitter. 
The Seahawks were two of three on third down and five fewer yards in that game. Zero oh and ten on third down and six plus. The average third down yardage to gain was eight point eight. The issue in that game was not third down. The issue was first and second down. You know, you're you. We, we talked about this a lot this season. You know, how much is a yard here, a yard there, a couple yards here, a couple yards there. If your average yard to gain on third down is third and nine. You're not getting a lot of first downs in those situations. Yeah. He says, quote, this is Schottenheimer. There were certainly things that we wanted to do. There were certainly things we had on the call sheet where I'm like, golly, I can't believe we didn't get that called. But it was our inability of converting the third downs. There were 13 third downs. I think four of them were 10 or more. Seven of them were seven or more. We got behind the sticks. And so I think we've got to be better. So, boom. He says, myself, okay, these are calls that can get us back on track. These are calls that can get us into third and threes and third and fours instead of third and nines and tens. That's what he said. And ultimately, most of the year, they did that. They weren't a lot of third and shorts, I thought. But, you know, this game, they weren't. They weren't executing well enough on first and second down. But how much of the first and second down lack of offense is the play call and how much is the execution? Uh, because obviously it's a marriage and it's it's a debate that's as old as the game itself, and it will always continue to be that way, and there's only so much that we can actually conclude from that debate. I know that Pete Carroll thought that J.R. Sweezy and D.J. Fluker didn't play very well because he said that you know, in it, after he reviewed the film. He said, look, J.R. and, and D.J., they, we're not healthy. the timing wasn't there. And they yeah. may have been healthy, but they were the, not. The time they, they missed. The timing wasn't there for the live reps, and that stuff matters. He said the way that they were getting off the ball did not reflect the way that they were getting off the ball for most of the season together. And ultimately, look, Dallas's defensive line played better than Seattle's offensive line, and those second and seven run plays that have quite often turned into third and threes were not so in this game. And But how much of that is the lack of execution? Lack of execution could be there, but you know what else could be there? The fact that you're playing against a defense that is better than the run than 27 other teams in the NFL. That's very true. Um, so, again, you're asking to execute against a, a top five see, defense at that position. Yeah, and that's why I feel like play calling is, is, is a big feel thing. It's a big feel thing. Yes. Because you have to be um, pliable enough and willing enough to make changes throughout the course of a 60-minute football game but you also have to be resolute enough to, you know, feel it out like, hey, are we just moments away from breaking through with a big run, a la Rashad Penny? Yeah, and then immediate, and then they didn't do anything the rest of the game after that big run, right? In right. terms of the run game, not yeah. not offensively. Yeah. So yes, they get the big run. Take that run out. You're averaging 1.7 yards per carry as a team. Terrible. And I think that's why a lot of people were, I I don't know, I like you and I were talking the first half. Yeah, it was frustrating at times, but you felt like in the second half, okay, here come the adjustments. You're, you're letting Russell Wilson loose. That's the feel part, right? Like you're yeah. going, okay, clearly the run game is not working uh, and living up to the expectations. So now it's time to switch things up but, and rely on your franchise 20-plus million dollar a year quarterback still to hurts. make plays for you. And I think that that is valid criticism. Yeah, you can I talk mean, about executing look, the run game, but that is valid that they made no adaptations. Well, don't, And don't you feel like coaches will always say, hey, we're going to rely on what got us here. So the the argument, and this is a podcast probably for another time, and just to tease ahead, we will unroll a series of podcasts that are conversations only about the offense. We're going to really dig into this thing, yeah. and I'm excited about that. But there, the idea of we're going to rely on what got us here. What got us here is a reference to the sustainability aspect of your offense. What made it successful in the regular season? How long is the regular season? 16 games, right? 
there has to be an identifiable quality of your offense to make it good over that long a time. For Seattle, it was physicality and running the football, yes. The playoffs, though, are different than the regular season. It's a one-off. You have to win the football game to advance. That's it. So, in my opinion, when you get into the second half of a game, that's bullshit. You don't have to rely on what got you there all season long. No, you have to be willing to throw out what got you there all season long for the sake of giving you the best chance to win. I know we joke about Neil O'Shea saying bifurcating all the time uh, between the regular season and the playoffs, but I think in this context, there's something to be said for divorcing yourself from the commitment to what got you a successful offense for 16 games and realize that there are better ways to win the football game within your control other than staying resolute to your 16-game strategy for the sake of winning 30 minutes of football. Yeah, and then guess what? You go back to that identity the next week against the Rams. Yes. I mean, and that's you're you right. You just have to win 30 minutes. And the most frustrating part of that in and of itself to me is the years of coaching experience on this staff in postseason, and they weren't able to come to that conclusion is really disappointing. That like, is disappointing. That is, that's another thing that just really irks me, and it makes me wonder. I'm not questioning like how good of a coach Pete Carroll is. He's the best coach in Seahawks history, and he should be and deserved that contract extension that he got. But it does make me a little bit concerned about – how are they going to approach the next year? How are they going to? Are they going to truly? You heard Brent Schottenheimer say yesterday, "We are always wanting to evolve. We're always wanting to improve." So, are they going to learn something from this? Do they just throw it out as lack well, of execution? Yeah, that's see, what concerns me. Yeah, and and I, I'm I bet you they're gonna the conclusion they're gonna make is, "Hey, we weren't all that away far away from winning this football game," which no, they weren't technically, but man. It's more of a philosophical thing. Like, are, I thought Pete Carroll was really good at making adjustments. I thought that was one of his strengths. Yeah. And and that's why I was so confident those adjustments would be made. And they weren't. Especially given the quarterback that you have. That's you know, it. You know, the, if it, you are just asking to win a football game, which they do all the time when they're down in the last possession of the game or need a game-winning drive in the fourth quarter or that Kansas City game where you need a touchdown to put you up from 3-10, to 10, they have no problem letting Russell Wilson do his thing then. Why don't you do let him do it for more than that? Yeah, and it it makes it feel like the coaching staff does not trust him. I mean, that's that's and I'm not saying that's true, yeah. but that is like the that is the conclusion that I that's easy to draw in that situation is they don't trust him not to turn the ball over, not to take the big sack and pin them deep and and to put themselves they don't trust the offensive line to protect. They don't trust the entire team offensively to function well passing the football in those scenarios. And that's I mean, that's frustrating. We'll take a deeper dive into it, but yeah, they were close in that game. The final score indicates that they were relatively close, but even if they don't, even if they stop them on the third and 14, you're still down six and have to drive down the field and, and score a touchdown to tie. Not that they can't do it, but it's not like they were in the driver's seat. Right. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like, oh, Dallas converted an improbable third and 14 and they drove down the field to win in the last moment. No, Seattle still would have had to come back and get into the end zone late in that game. One of our very first podcasts that we ever did on the Game Plan Podcast was uh, after the Seahawks drafted Frank Clark. It's one of our most listened to podcasts as well because of the... Um, controversy. Controversy, right, surrounding his past history and how he became a draft choice of the Seahawks. Here we are four years later, Perkins. Unbelievable. It's already been that long. Uh, Clark just racked up. 13 sacks, career high for him by far this season. He had 9 in 2017. He had 10 in 2016. 
and he's got a total of 35 sacks over four seasons in his career with the Seattle Seahawks. How important is it that the Seahawks get him locked up this offseason to a new deal? It's very important, obviously. I mean, it's probably based on the philosophy and the mindset of Pete Carroll, their top priority would be my guess Mm -hmm. is to lock him up long term. Um, And I'll still tell you, and maybe people don't want to hear this. I don't know if you want to hear this, but a lot of that conversation four years ago was centered around Frank's off-field past. And every time he makes a play, I still think about it. Mm. And I, and I, Mm. and I struggle with reconciling the fact that I'm cheering for him, knowing the questions around his character. I hate to say it, but I do. I no. think about it, and it's 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 still a hard thing for me um, to 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 reconcile in my mind. Yeah, for me, I always feel that way about Tyreek Hill. Um, yeah, you know yeah. the same. So Frank Clark, for me, a little less. To be honest, I'm not as conscious about it from a play by play standpoint as I am with Tyreek. To be fair, um, well, I don't know. Maybe there's no stipulations necessary. The details of Tyreeks are uh, pretty harrowing. Um, Debating matters of degree with stuff like that is probably tough. not an area that I really want to get into. Yeah. But I'll just yeah. It was more shocking reading Tyree Kill's history than Frank Clark's, I guess. Even though yeah. they're both, I mean, but you understand where I'm coming from. I do. Yeah, you, I can't hold that. When, against when you, you see a player, you you yeah. kind of. I mean, what what the argument there in the conversation that probably we have again at some point is what's the statute of limitations? At what point do you quote unquote forgive the player completely? Like, what do you expect was going to happen when they drafted him? Him not play four years of football yeah, and be good? Exactly. You know, and that's why. I, that's why I have trouble with it, right? Sure. Like, that's why I struggle with it morally. If you, and, if you struggled with it in draft day, you should still struggle with it now. Yeah, I mean, I, I do, you yeah. know, and I don't know if everyone does, and I can't, you know, I, everyone can feel the way they want to about it, yeah. but it is one of those things that it's, when he makes a big play, it does come to mind, and it does take away some of the the luster for it. That being said, he's had a great first three years in Seattle, and he has turned into more than just a a, you know, obvious passing down situations type of guy. He has come in this season and become not only Judah, the leading sack hitter for this team, but really a leader, a vocal leader on that defense, which has been very important with obviously losing Richard Sherman, Michael Bennett and uh, Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor. And the other big member of that is Bobby Wagner, who is entering the final year of his contract. So he'll also arguably be a priority to get re-signed. He's going to be ten and a half million dollars in base salary a $14 million cap hit in 2019. In addition to him, K.J. Wright, who is up for free agency um, at a, as a weak side linebacker that's been a real stalwart on this defense for so long, you would figure that Wright is a guy that they want to get back on this team, but I can guarantee you it won't be at any price. They are going to drive a hard bargain to keep K.J. Wright. Yeah, and and his situation is difficult because the the amount of games that he played in this year make you question whether or not he was going to come back. But the way that he played in that Dallas game, I don't know how you don't realize that he still has a lot left in the tank. I mean, there are some matchups and game plans that just KJ is such a valuable piece to have. And he played so well in that game. He was all, I know he had the PI uh, late in the game, but he was all over the interception and he had the interception, but he was all over the place in that game. And I think that that performance alone proved that he was back healthy. And when he is healthy, and if a big if he can stay healthy, he is clearly a valuable asset to that defense that needs valuable assets and talent right now. Well, he was an eight point two million dollar cap hit in twenty eighteen, and uh, made seven point two in base salary. Career best for him. He's about to enter his age thirty season.
So that's pretty much it for our podcast here. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot more to get to other than divisional playoff picks. I'm going with all the home teams uh, this week. Like the opposite of, of Wild Card Weekend yeah, in last, terms of the results. In terms of the results, <laughs> yeah. But I struggled with it. I think these will be good games. Let's say, you know, so we got Chiefs-Colts, 1.30 Saturday. We have Rams-Cowboys Saturday night. We have Chargers-Patriots Sunday morning. We have Eagles-Saints Sunday afternoon. Which one of those four games do you think has the biggest blowout potential? Um, I think it is going to be Rams-Cowboys. And who's doing the blowing out? (laughs) I would assume it's the Rams. Yeah. Todd Gurley's back healthy uh, off the injury report completely on Friday. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I believe that either of those teams, Seattle or Dallas, would not beat the Rams. And... I don't know, man. I, here's a question. If yeah. Seattle can keep things close with the Rams, as they have, mm-hmm. why can't Dallas? Why couldn't Dallas? It's a similar personnel, similar execution, of similar game plans. I feel ultimately, though, again, and this comes back to offensive execution or game plan, Seattle played right into Dallas's hands in that game. I, I feel like, assuming Goff can, can return to form, because he definitely struggled the back half of the season. I mean, his passer rating, you look at the passer rating, first eight games, last eight games, Significant difference below for sure. below eighty passer rating uh, for the final two months of the season, and that's bad. I mean, yeah. That's a bad passer rating. Assuming he can get back to some form of his former self at home, uh, they're they're going to shred up that secondary. Todd Gurley's so crucial to that passing game as well, uh, catching the ball out of the backfield, and that offensive line has played really well. And I just feel like the when you talk about personnel and matchups, the Rams. And I, I trust Sean McVay to adapt a little bit better, maybe, than uh, than yeah. Seattle did. Now, for all the love of Sean McVay and for the coaching tree he's produced already, which is insane <laughs> at 30 years old, it's like repopulating the earth, um, still has yet to win a playoff game. Yep. So we'll see if well, he— it's his second season, right? Yeah, exactly. But, so. well, yeah. But the point was, he was a favorite coaching at home last year and lost by two scores. Yeah. So, yeah, very limited sample size. But he, for, from a perception to production standpoint, I don't know if there's a greater. Uh, I, I agree with you. There's something to be said for being in your second year and not having the sample size to go with. But the perception around Sean McVay's through the roof for a guy that really hasn't won anything big yet. That's just the facts. And Jason Garrett has won what? Yeah, two playoff games. That's it. In a decade? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, so, so I well, mean, I mean, from an advantage standpoint, yeah, I give it to Sean McVay. I mean, I guess that's my. I'm point, not. Though. I'm not saying Jason Garrett's even close to Sean McVay. I, I just don't think Dallas has the horses to keep up. Yeah, I, I the think Cowboys don't have the horses. Yeah, hey, yeah, I did not mean mean that. Uh, <laughs> They're going to try to catch joke? a ram in a thicket, Abraham style. <laughs> There's a little Old Testament oh, reference yeah, for yeah. all you guys. Shout out, <laughs> shout out, <laughs> Abram. I, I mean, I don't think that's going to be like they win by twenty type of game, but I do think that it has a potential to be a double digit loss. And Interesting. I wouldn't be shocked at all. In fact, that game doesn't do much for me. Really? No. Oh, okay. That's interesting. I'm going to watch it. I feel like I'm, Dallas could run the ball on LA. Unlike the uh, college football championship game, I will watch every single one of these games this weekend. I have a. Here's my <laughs> feeling. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Uh, here's my feeling. My feeling is that, um, you know, we, we're talking about the Seahawks losing to the Cowboys in a very winnable game. It's This is the classic scenario for the Cowboys to reach the NFC title game. And then... In retrospect, we're like, oh my God, like we were we were three plays away from being in the NFC Championship game as Seahawks fans. That's going to be the narrative. I might pick Cowboys to win this game. I won't. 
But I wouldn't be surprised if they won this game. You think they have the best chance of all the road teams? Ooh, that's a good question. The best chance of all... No, I, I can't. I can't say that with the Chargers and the Eagles playing the way they are. I would say the best blowout would be Philly-New Orleans. Philly... That's another one that... Obviously, they're playing out of their minds, but it reminds me a lot of Seattle's first season post-Super Bowl. Um, sorry, post-2014, where they got in as a sixth seed, fought their asses off in a road game at an NFC North one team. One based on a missed field on goal. A missed field goal. <laughs> and then what happened the following week? Yeah. They got blitzkrieged 31-0 at halftime. Punched in the mouth. There, I have a feeling that could happen. I have a feeling the Philly could come back and make it close, but I have a, I have a better feeling that New Orleans has a chance to put it away. And the, the Foles magic not only ends, but it ends abruptly. So I'm picking the Saints. Yeah, I think the Saints are the clear-cut favorite in the NFC. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know, just the way they've the been Phil- playing. Philly's secondary, a lot of no-names that played very well against a Matt Nagy offense with with Trubisky. Trubisky. Dude. They're going to get lit up. They're going to have to get to Drew Brees in this game. Like Michael Bennett, those guys, they're going to have to get to Drew Brees. And Nick Foles is, again, going to have to play out of his mind. Yeah, It's not out of the realm of possibility, but you're right. It feels like if if the Eagles win this game, it's going to be some weird fluky crap that happens. Like, like, almost like what happened with the Vikings last year to Stephon Diggs or something. Right. Like, it's going to take some weird, some big mistake from New Orleans or some fluky fumble play. Or turnover play to for Philadelphia to win because they just don't they're not they don't have the talent. Yeah, I'm going to take New Orleans to win and cover. I'm going to take What's the spread on that one eight. I think it's eight now. It opened at nine. You like them to cover? I'll okay. I'll take New Orleans to cover. Yeah, which I think I bet you the majority of the money is on Philly though on the plus eight. The full it's a pretty big stuff. spread for a divisional round playoff game. Yeah, but see, then my thought is there's a reason that spread is that large. Yeah, and, and there's I had the same thought Clemson Notre Dame. I was like. 10? And I was like, oh my god. Notre Dame 10, Notre Dame 10, Notre Dame 10. And then before kickoff, I was like, wait, is it maybe there's a reason why Vegas has it at 10? And then I laid the points with Clemson, and they won 30-3. to three, <laughs> And I won money. It was great. Anyway. God, I love that game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Shout out, Brian Kelly. Last, what do you think? Chargers-Patriots. Well, you know me. I've picked the Chargers to go to the Super Bowl, and uh, I'm going to stick with that. Mm-hmm. I think that this is the year for Phillip Rivers and for that team. They have the talent. Um, and look, I know you can't blame Philip Rivers' lack of success in the past on on just him, right? It's a team effort. But I mean, those are some damn good football teams that lost playoff games. Those fourteen and two season, Ladanian Tomlinson winning MVP, um, and Rivers was still pretty young back then. And we know what his career has been against Tom Brady <laughs> in the playoffs. It has not been good. Um, but I think he finally exercises his demons this week against New England in Foxborough. I think they win that game. If you're going, if Philip Rivers is going to win a Super Bowl. This is the year to do it. The, oh, by, yeah, no is, question. You can't account on this type of team success next year. And not only that, but the Patriots are not very good. I mean, they, they have the benefit of playing in one of the worst divisions in football. Again. That's how they got to 11 wins. Yeah. I mean, really, it is. And and I know it's in Foxborough, and the Patriots are tough there, but it's winnable now. It used to be like a Foxborough, you almost just check it off as a loss, regardless of what time of year it is. But that's a winnable game. And... The Chargers have a lot of confidence right now. They already beat the Ravens on the road. I feel like uh, this is this is going to be their time. Yeah, I'm picking the Patriots. If this game was anywhere other than Foxborough, I would pick the Chargers. I just yeah. think, uh, you know, for all the Patriots' struggles on the, on, you know, this year, they haven't lost a home game. There ain't no at home, and it's Brady playoffs two weeks. Belichick, it's your typical stuff. Personnel says Chargers. Melvin Ingram could have a chance to own this game, and they're the hottest, one of the hottest teams in the league. Yeah, I think they've won nine road games in a row. Yeah. So 
Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm definitely rooting for the Chargers. I'm going to pick the Patriots. I've got Patriots-Chiefs in the AFC title in Kansas City next week. I have the Chiefs winning a close one with Indianapolis. Thought hard about Indy. What do you think about that one? Yeah, I'm excited for that game. I, I think love that game. And the, the thing is, the Colts' defense has played really well the last, what, month and a half? Yeah. I mean, they've really come into their own. They've been a top-five defense the final six weeks of the season. So... How is Mahomes going to play? You know, they've lost some games. They lost, what, three of five yeah. to end the year? I I could see an upset happening, but ultimately I feel like this is finally the year that Andy Reid exercises that Kansas City bugaboo and gets over the hump. And, uh, I mean, if it's, if it's a Patriots-Chiefs AFC title game, I feel... Very confident in saying the Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl. I would I would hope so as well. I've got Chiefs Pats in the AFC title. I've got Saints, Rams, and New Orleans in the NFC title. What about you? Yep. That's how I have it going too. Wait, the, no, no, you have Chargers Chiefs. Oh yeah, I thought you meant NFC specific. Yeah, I have Chargers Chiefs uh-huh. and I have Saints Rams. Um I, I just think the fact that so many road teams won and you have both six seeds and you have one five seed, it makes it easier to go with the home teams, right? Because those Guys have played so well all season long in the divisional round. Typically, you have like a, you know, if it's the Bears, aren't you a little more nervous? Like, man, that defense is so good. They're going to stop the Rams. They're going to be able to shut down Goff and Gurley. But it's like the Cowboys, and they sucked for like half of the year, and it's easy to go, uh, I don't know. I'm not that excited for the game. I'm going to watch it, but I it doesn't do much for me. Interesting. Well, I'll probably be right here watching it. Uh, Again, have, having fun. Yeah, probably. Refusing to text anybody, even your friends. That, I will text that time because the Seahawks aren't playing. I didn't even send you a, I sent you a relatively innocuous text. I was like, you know what? You were I right should... about that Dallas pass rush and you just ghosted me. I, I thought like, you said run defense, to be fair. And <laughs> yes, I ghosted you. I was, um, I'll tell you off the air. I, yeah. I need to find. Yeah, we need to. It have, wasn't. It wasn't a conscious decision not to text back. It was. Uh, it's a, fair. An attention deficit. <laughs> my, my, fe- my feelings aren't hurt. Yeah. Don't worry. We need to have when you're watching a game in this studio, a, a live feed, with camera going. We can bleep. You know later. Uh, I've got a couple of videos that friends have <laughs> shot of the past. I'll, I'll show you. Please don't blackmail me. He's Brian Perkins. I'm Junior Newby. Game Plan Podcast. We'll see you Monday. One hundred two nine. The Game dot com.